Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go to the phones. Joining us as he does every week at this time, one of our favorite contributors, Mr. Outdoors in Colorado, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Terry. How are you? Good. Did I do good? You did good. You did good. And I got to say that the ending of that last segment talking about, you know, the, the mountain lion here in Colorado, it was very well said. And it, it's one of those things that people need to be taken serious. I think so many sportsmen think that, hey, this issue won't go through or, hey, this isn't something we need to worry about. And just like the wolves, all of a sudden it passes. Um, you know, the, the people that are tended to be not as much on the fishing hunting side have a powerful voice and more than anything, they're very organized as a group. So I think everything needs to be taken serious to the best of your ability. Um, and I just think you said it well, so I have to give you props to that. And honestly, one thing that I have to add to that is we have estimates. And I say we as in everybody, sportsmen, managing partners, estimates of what the mountain lion population is in the state. But I ask everybody this question. You know that you are in a lion area. You know where there are mountain lions around. Have you ever seen them? How frequently do you see them? Of all the wildlife in Colorado, this is the hardest animal to get estimates of what that population is. And it is very, you know, fairly well spoken that we feel that our numbers of what we feel are out there are extremely low. So they think that the estimates are extremely low. So again, I just throw it out there because as a person who mountain lion hunts, somebody who goes out looking for, for tracks, runs them, hunts them, I spend a lot of time in the mountain lion world. And I can tell you that according to numbers and what you see per, you know, seven square miles and all the estimates, um, it's pretty crazy how many lions I run into when I actually go looking for them, when I know where they're at, when you have wintering populations of deer and elk. Um, so it's one of those things that some people hear the numbers and they're like, oh, yeah, that, that doesn't seem like there's too many. Um, I think the estimate numbers of what we have in the state uh, are estimated to be very, you know, their, their estimates are lower than what the actual population is because it's an animal that is so elusive and so hard to really gather data on. I, I couldn't agree more, and I'll make one last comment. Not only should hunters and outdoor enthusiasts be talking to their state representatives and senators to make sure this bill never goes anywhere, but anybody, any representative or senator who represents an area in the state that has agriculture or their economy is based on outdoor activity, think about what's going to happen if the hunting gets curtailed of other big game species because of the number of mountain lions or the money that will be lost in agriculture and come out of parks and wildlife and the communities that will lose income because if this bill passes. And I'll leave it at that. Take Make your own choice. Talk to your senator and your representative. And, Nate, let's you and I go ice fishing. <laughs> Absolutely, Terry. <laughs> you know, weeks or months ago, we were like, man, you know, open water in December. And we were kind of concerned about it. And even though the temperatures are, you know, somewhat mild, um, our ice on the front range is holding up good. The mountains are holding up good. Um, I mean, everything is very solid. I mean, the, 
kind of that middle park has some slush, talking to a lot of anglers. They're seeing some slush up at the Three Lakes Tournament this weekend. But all in all, I would say it's a very good ice fishing year. So I kind of wanted to do an ice report, Terry, but throughout the course of the week, and we were obviously in last in Utah last week at an event, but I want to just touch base on some general ice fishing tactics real quick, and then I kind of want to do an ice report, Terry. But, you know, it seems that there are – there's so many anglers in the industry at so many different skill levels. I mean, everything from, you know, extremely, uh, you know, into the sport, very, you know, talented anglers all the way to people that are new to the sport and then kind of a lot of anglers in between. And I kind of want to talk to those in between anglers right now, Terry, because I'm seeing a lot of anglers that again, people will say, I'm just picking on people and being mean, but maybe you're just making slightly wrong decisions on the ice. And I just kind of want to talk to those anglers. Terry, you and I have both had days on the ice. It doesn't matter what species, whether we're talking rainbows or perch or walleye or lakers, whatever. We all have those days when you struggle to fail. When those fish, when they're hungry, when they're aggressive, you know, when they take the bait hard, um, I mean, you catch those fish, right? Then you have the other side of things when it's a light bite, when it is technical, when it's tough. And those are the days when you need to be on your game. So the biggest thing I want to talk about is, you know, the days when you get one opportunity, one bite. Maybe it's 20 fish, but every fish bumps your line one time and that's it. The reason I bring this up, obviously, as I'm running these tournaments, we see everything. As I'm guiding, I'm with new anglers. So I'm across the board, whether it's, you know, scouting or at the tournaments where we're, you know, watching people very competitive for big money or just guiding, having a good day in the water. I see so many anglers lack and miss opportunity. And we just wanted to touch base that real quick. Number one, I think I want to talk about is dead sticking, Terry. From, you know, you from the Midwest, me spending time in the Midwest. We're both bobber fishermen. We love using a slip bobber. It's a great technique, and it helps people catch fish. Uh, everything from the fact that you drop your line to the same point, but more so detecting a light bite and allows the fish to, or allows you to see the bite, but doesn't allow the fish to feel a bite. So, you know, multiple times you'll have the fish take the bait multiple times because they don't see it or they don't feel it. Nothing is going on in that presentation. So number one thing I want to talk about, we talk about it. We've talked about it for 12 years since I've been on the show, Terry, but not enough anglers are using slip bobbers. When I walk around the ice tournament, I see everything, but I see so many anglers dead sticking and hoping they're going to see their rod twitch. Now, if it's a light bite, a lot of times you won't see it. See it and most importantly, you definitely are going to let the fish feel that rod tip so the odds of them coming back a second time are slim to none. So I see anglers, whether they're sitting right next to the rod or they're, you know, five, ten feet away, you know, stretching or grabbing something from their sled, so many anglers rely on visually seeing a, a movement of a dead stick approach. And, Terry, at the end of the day, you just miss too many doing that. So this is literally my plea to anglers to check out a slip bobber. I know I have stuff on YouTube. You have stuff on YouTube, Google, whatever. But look up use of, of a slip bobber rig, especially like using an ice buster bobber online. I promise you it will change how you fish. You're going to be in the strike zone longer. You're going to see the bite. The fish is going to take the bait multiple times, and it really is going to allow you to catch more fish. Um, so that's number one is avoiding the dead stick and using a slip bobber. Number two, I saw a lot of people using pinned bobbers to where they're they're using like a red and white bobber or a pinning bobber to where they, they have a bobber on 
the line, they see the fish, they set the hook, and then they're either hand-lining the fish in or they're trying to unclip the bobber um, so they can then fight the fish on the reel. And again, those will cost you just, you know, minutes or seconds of time that, you know, you're not ready for, especially on a big fish situation. And that's where that slip bobber will excel. So, Again, just a plea to everybody out there, if you're dead stick, if you're, you know, looking for, you know, a better bite detective system, um, you have to check out using a slip bobber because, again, I think it will change your world. And after watching thousands of anglers over the last couple of weeks, um, it's one of those things that I think people need to try out at least one or two times and then make the decision if it's for you or not. But the lack of education in the slip bobber, Terry, I think it's costing a lot of anglers fish right now. And I'm going to add one comment, and that's sizing that slip bobber. Sizing that slip bobber. I like a slip bobber that almost submerges with just the weight of the presentation. And so when the fish almost breathes on it, it moves that bobber. Sometimes I'll even see that bobber come up if the fish is lightly mouthing the presentation. Don't go with some huge bulb that they can't move. I agree 100%, Terry. And that's why we always talk about the Ice Buster Bobber. It's made of foam. You can actually pinch it off. So I'll have, you know, there's two sizes of the Ice Buster Bobber, but you just pinch off the foam with your hand, and that way you can literally adjust each bobber to, to the weight of those jigs. So I'll have four or five different lengths of these Ice Buster Bobbers in each size, and I can put on the appropriate one. They snap on and off so they're not rough on your rod tip. And the cool thing about an Ice Buster Bobber is it actually holds your, your, your bobber stop underwater so it's not freezing as opposed to a traditional bobber stop would be on top of a slip bobber and you know once it gets wet it could freeze there and you could have some issues the ice buster bobber goes underwater with that bobber uh but again terry just after watching it so many times the last couple weeks i again i think it would drastically help people out so just you know that's the the plea for cry you use a slip bobber and make the most of every bite and also terry you know as well as I, if a fish touches my line, I am swinging. If a fish bumps your line, you're swinging because you never know if you're going to get a second bite. I see so many anglers that they get a bite and I can watch their rod move and they're like, oh, he's going to come back. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But making the most of every opportunity will, will catch you more fish at the end of the day. So if you feel a bump, don't just assume the fish will come back and be prepared for the hook set on the second bite. Uh, you get a bite swing for gold on that first try, uh, again, you know, you're, you're going to make more opportunities happen. I couldn't agree more, Nate. So what are you hearing as far as bites around, at least your part of the state? Absolutely. You know, the Chatfield Cherry Creek, that walleye bite is still strong. It's very traditional. It is picky walleye that are well-fed. Uh, but that walleye bite's been strong, so I encourage that. Uh, but we've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks. I want to talk a little bit about kind of the South Park area. Um, you know, 11 miles, been fishing good, good ice. Antero's fishing good, good ice. Um, the things that we're seeing there, by no means are we lacking oxygen. By no means are we, like, you know, in a funk at all. But we do have snow-covered ice. Um, you know, so it's kind of that midwinter type approach. I wouldn't say it's like, again, a bad thing, but we're definitely in that midwinter, you know, just we'll have to work just slightly harder for those fish, especially the bigger fish right now. So the things that we're seeing that are doing best, number one, we are now starting to put a little emphasis on where other anglers have been putting pressure on the fish. So we are now moving just a little bit. If you show up to a spot, it looks like Swiss cheese. There's been a lot of anglers there. You know, move a little bit 
inch away from those areas. Walk a little further. Uh, we're just now starting to see it to where the traditional areas that are really getting beat up are starting to show signs of that pressure. Those fish are just a little bit more reluctant to take the bait, and you're just generally speaking not seeing quite as many fish. So now that we're kind of in that midwinter type era, I am encouraging anglers move away a little bit. So as you go to a spot, try to find ice that has not been hit. Try to find fish that have not had pressure, and that's drastically helping our take at the end of the day. The other thing that we're seeing, we're starting to see a lot of suspended fish. Same thing. We've talked about this on the show the last couple of weeks, but in Tarot, 11 mile, I might be in six, eight, 10 feet of water, but we're catching a lot of fish like four feet down, six feet down. Um, not to say if you don't see a fish on the bottom, drop down to it, but I would definitely put some energy on suspending that bait um, just because we're seeing so many fish just under the ice. So that's probably the biggest thing up in those areas is try to get to a spot that has not been hit really hard and then definitely don't overlook those suspended fish even if you don't see them keep a bait up there it's easy to drop a bait back down if you see a fish on your graph to come below you drop down to that fish but i am almost holding my bait halfway or higher in the water column and it's crazy how aggressive those fish are and where a lot of those big fish are cruising right now well and especially if you're fishing with an active presentation up in that water column those fish can see that from a long ways away and you can draw them in and you can get right back to have another presentation a slip bob or a dead stick of some kind and those fish if if you're seeing them at different depths they're going to come cruising through again absolutely terry and again like you said it doesn't hurt anything all it does is make your presentation more visible more clear draw more fish in and therefore at the end of the day catch more fish and honestly i'm seeing those bigger fish up in that water column as well so that's probably the coolest thing is where we're upping our odds at some bigger opportunities when that middle of that water column so what else you got coming up my friend you know, Terry, we're, we're excited about it. We're back in Utah uh, this next weekend, and then after that, all, it's all hands on deck for the Colorado Cabin Adventures Grand Lake event. We're excited about it. Uh, Grand Lake is always one of our favorite events of the year just for the fact that you can literally, you know, be in the town of Grand Lake, go to a coffee shop, grab some food, and walk down on the ice and walk out on our course. So it's just a neat layout, so we're excited about that. Uh, so registration is open for that. So the, the last Colorado Ice Addiction event is February 19th. Um, registration is open now at our website. Encourage everybody to get up there. We are hearing that there's people saying, hey, you know, where do we stay? Where's the best lodging? Uh, just because it does get booked up quickly. Um, and obviously, you know, the title partner says it all. It is the Colorado Cabin Adventures event. Um, and they, I believe they have three to four rooms left. Uh, so if you're coming to Ice Addiction and you need a room, those cabins at Colorado Cabin Adventures are right on Shadow Mountain, you know, probably five minutes from the course. Uh, awesome place to stay. Just a shout out to them. Uh, Make sure you grab that lodging before it is gone. Uh, so, again, Colorado Cabin Adventures there for that. Uh, and registration is open on our website uh, for that event. So get signed up for that. And then, uh, obviously, we're doing a lot of guided trips. Had a lot of questions and things going on about our walleye trips. Um, we do offer multiple trips for walleye. Just going to clarify this. We do offer a shorter four-hour window that just is really focused on the walleye in that peak activity, those four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon. So we have that going. I believe Dustin has one spot this week with that. I believe Josh has one spot uh then i have a spot coming up here in two weeks so again all of our guiding stuff is happening but walleye pike trout lake trout it's all happening you can go to the website tightlineoutdoors.com for more information or always hit us up on facebook uh and that's about it terry we are taking advantage of uh, every opportunity and hitting the ice hard all right my friend we'll talk to you next week have a good weekend we'll talk to you soon thank you sir all right 
We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, the folks from Jackson are going to join us, talk about some of the ice conditions up here in northern Colorado, about gear, and a little bit about getting ready for turkey hunting. You may not want to wait too long. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a teardrop in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love. I somehow couldn't keep You're an empty bed beside me You're listening to Terry from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Uh, That bumper music, by the way, is from uh, our current release EP that's on all the streaming services under Wickstrom and Dobrith if you'd like to listen to more of our music. And we are brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And speaking of Jack's, let's go to the Jack's East store in Loveland and joining us is Bill Berglund. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Terry. How are you this fine morning? Vertical and taking nourishment. Couldn't ask for better. Yeah, that's about us. That's one of my lines that I use a lot, too. I figure if that's happening, I've got to step ahead of things. Now, you're at the store, the Loveland store, the one that's east, the original store in Loveland. Am I correct? Yes, sir. The one by Sam's Club. All right. Now, you and your son are also avid ice anglers. So the very first thing I want to do, I want to eventually find out if somebody still wants to get out because we're getting more and more opportunities. It's going to get cold. There's close ice fishing opportunities. And then I want to find out if you've got the gear. But first of all, what are you seeing out there between you and your son? Well, my son's been getting out quite a bit. and He's catching fish everywhere. He goes up to Calgary and catches quite a few footballs through the ice. He's catching cats here locally. He's catching a few walleye and a lot of stockies. Um, what are some of the bodies of water like, uh, you know, catfish? Boyd Lake has catfish. A lot of the lakes have catfish. A lot of people don't understand catfish are, can be very uh, cooperative through the ice and a lot of fun. Has he been fishing Boyd Lake at all? He's been fishing Boyd in the inlet, catching a few walleye and trout. Uh, he caught a really nice cat, though, out of Pine Reese the other day, which is just there southwest of Boyd. Um, I had a and gentleman then, but, in the store yesterday who has caught a few 10-pound cats out of Boyd. He won't tell me where. I suspect he's over on the east side by all that uh, riprap. But, uh, <laughs> what are you hearing about lakes like Lawn Hagler and Douglas? Are people getting out on those? Getting a lot of people out on them. I'm not hearing a lot. Um, Hagler, they're catching, of course, a lot of stockies. A few bluegill and stuff now and then, but mostly stockies. I haven't heard a thing about Bowdecker. Lots of folks fishing Douglas, but uh, I haven't heard a whole lot of what they're catching. They just—they tell me they're heading that way. <laughs> I drove by Douglas and just stopped on the, by the boat ramp. Uh, about a week ago or so, and I watched. They were catching stalker trout. I guess it's been heavily stocked this year, and they were spread out across the ice, so it must have fairly good ice. That's another thing. You know, we're going to – it's going to be 50 degrees these next couple of days, but we formed a good ice cap finally up north with up northern front range here with that cold weather we had. And it's going to get extremely cold again in the middle of the week, and the nights have been very cold even these couple of days. So I think we're going to not see that ice go away. I mean, I always check and be careful, but I think that ice is going to be stable and we're going to actually grow it over the next week and probably have two, three weeks of opportunity where people don't have to go very far if they don't want to. So if I'm ready to head out, but I've kind of been hesitant, 
because I have I didn't think though if we were going to have good ice clothes. Can you outfit me? How are you guys doing for ice fishing gear? What do you have, and is there things I should be looking at right now? We're pretty well stocked on the basics right now. I've got everything from inexpensive combos starting about $12 for rod and reel up through some really nice Fish 13 tickle sticks and inline reels that are really sweet for ice fishing. Got plenty of jigs, tungsten jigs. Uh, uh, the, uh, yeah, drawing a blank now, the Swedish pimples, the little uh, uh, jigging rack from Rapala are real popular. Yeah. I love a Swedish uh, pimple. That's one of my favorite action lures, ice fishing. What about augers? If I, if I, you have both hand and electric, or I mean, if I need to, to get out and I haven't got an auger yet, can you help me out? I've got a few hand augers left. I've got a lot of the Eskimo pistol bits, which run off of your 18-volt drill. Those have become really popular. I've got a couple of the Mako ice augers, electric augers left. I've got a gas auger or two left, but... Uh, those pistol bits are really the hot thing right now. Yeah, you just have to have your own drill for those. And I've used a few of those with different people. I haven't got one myself, but very impressive. Easy, light to carry. What about sleds and shelters? Do you have much there? I am out of sleds at the moment. I've got lots of shelters left. i got a few two-man, a lot of three-man. I've got a couple of sixes left, insulated, uninsulated. Um, so come on in, take a look at those. Uh, there are sleds in the stores, so if you need a sled, and we can send you to one of the stores to have them or get them shipped down to us. Um. What about, you know, more and more, I used to never think I'd go ice fishing without taking bait with me, but more and more I'm using a lot of artificials, especially the little gulp in the jars. But you have a selection of both artificials and regular bait, don't you? We do. We carry good selection of minnows. We carry frozen suckers, which are really popular throughout the year for the guys going after lakers and such. Um, of course, waxworms, mealworms, night crawlers. But as you mentioned, the gulps, the, the little jarred gulps waxworms seem to work really well ice fishing up and down the front range for me anyway. They do, and they're so easy. You don't have to worry about keeping them alive or taking care of them. A lot of times, that's all I have with me are a couple of jars of those small gulp baits, and I've been able to put um, quite a bit of fish on the ice with it. I'll tell you a secret. Don't share it, though. Sometimes I go with a, a friend who only fishes bait. That way, if the artificial isn't working, I bum some off of them, and I still don't have to buy it. So that's, But that very seldom happens. I want to change gears on you real quick here, Bill. Uh, the turkey draw is coming up in just a week or so. Now, we're still a ways yes, off from the season. It's going to be April. Last year, it was tough getting guns, ammo, even other supplies. You know, everything was short because of the supply chain. How are you looking going as people get ready for turkey season? Is ammo going to be an issue? Do you have shotguns? I've got plenty of shotguns. They're not going to be much of an issue this year. Anything from single shots to pumps to semi-autos, I've got quite a variety. The ammo's still a little sketchy. There's a little bit flowing in. Uh, please don't wait till the last day. Start searching early if you're looking for ammo, especially. Uh, I haven't got haven't got anything in new for turkey calls or turkey decoys yet, but we're pretty well stocked there anyway. So, uh, but yeah, don't wait on the ammo. Yeah. Well, another thing with the ammo, you need to pattern that gun before you go out and know where it's hitting. You need to shoot and practice a little bit. 
you need to get enough ammo so that you can pattern it with the same shot you're hunting with. So don't come in and just buy, you know, one box of shells. Buy enough so that you have enough left to hunt with after you're confident in where that gun is shooting because that is so important. Bill, um, is ammo coming in? Well, you said there's ammo coming in. You've got calls. I would say people probably for both turkey and ice probably buy now because supplies are going to start to run short. Supplies are starting to run short. Fishing stuff, you know, we've got the last of the ice fishing we're going to get, I think. It's spring fishing stuff's going to start coming in most any day now. Um, Ammo-wise, everything's real sketchy. Uh, handgun 9 millimeter type stuff, we got a lot of self-defense. Target rounds are sketchy. Revolver rounds are almost impossible. Shotgun shells are really hit and miss, so, you know, don't wait. Um, buy plenty of rounds. Try all your different chokes with your gun. Make sure that that pattern's hitting where you want and in the density that you want. All right, my friend. It sounds like good advice. Thanks for joining us today, Bill. You betcha. Thank you for the invite. All right. Bill from Jack's Outdoors, the East Store in Lovell. I tell you what, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, hunting, fishing, hiking, trailing, snowshoeing, whatever it is, if you haven't been in a Jack store, do yourself a favor. Stop by one near you and just check it out. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Chad Lachance is going to join us. He's going to talk about a couple things. There's open water fishing to be had. Then he's going to tell you how to maybe something tasty out of those fish that are already in your freezer. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, as he does every other week at this time, from the fishful thinker, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. You know, we've been talking a lot of ice fishing, and I know you're not the most avid ice angler in the world, although we do need to drag you out this winter again. But there's a lot of open water opportunities yet, aren't there? Yeah, there is, and, you know, drag is the right word on that one, Terry. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of open water opportunities in Colorado. We've got a lot of reservoirs in the state. Those reservoirs form tailwaters, and the tailwaters below the reservoirs, particularly, uh, you know, some of the more notable ones, like down in Pueblo, right in town. You've got 11-mile canyon. You've got uh, up on my end of the – up in this neck of the woods, you've got, of course, below Mary's Lake, up in Estes Park. But – there's a lot of tailwaters around the state of Colorado, and they stay open for the most part in the wintertime, and they stay very fishable as well. But they're, they're, to say that they're fishable doesn't mean that they're easy. It's probably some of the most technical fishing of the year uh, is when you get in a tailwater. One of the defining characteristics, it seems like, is the water tends to be extremely clear and very low, and the water itself is dense, and the fish get a really good chance to look at anything their metabolism's not going real fast, and uh, they're just really get a chance to inspect anything they're throwing. So when it comes to fishing tailwaters, you, there's definitely some some keys to it. Uh, in my opinion, one of the first ones is you have to be sneaky. If more than almost any other time, with the water being low and clear and the fish not being particularly aggressive, if they catch your shadow or you send a shockwave out into them, they are definitely going to be unhappy and less likely to bite. And the funny thing is, in the wintertime, they might not even vacate. They're just going to get in a bad mood and sit there. And uh, and that could be one of the most important things is just flat being sneaky. And then from there, you have to keep in mind that, I, it, at least off the top of my head, all of the tailwaters that I know of are artificial flies and lures only. 
So you got to be a little bit careful what you throw in terms of any sort of soft plastics or anything. So if I'm a, a conventional way to approach it, which would be a, a guy with a fly rod, <clears throat> for me, that's going to be for sure a nymphing gig. Now, uh, there's I'm, I'm not going to try to go into the extreme details of how I'm going to nymph, but the basic premise is going to be smaller is better in most cases. You're going to need a point fly or something heavy enough to get the get your stack of flies down. And then most guys these days will do it with a strike indicator or a bobber of some sort. I'm old school. If I can get away without the bobber, I'd way rather do that. But obviously that takes a little bit more skill to know where your flies are. But at the end of the day, little tiny flies, little tiny tippets, and perfect dead drifts are the way the vast majority of the people are going to uh, approach, uh, you know, a tailwater situation. The... The flip side of that is if you want to take conventional tackle, I'm a heavy tackle guy. I like big flies, big lures, and big line and all that. But at this time of year is when I'm 99% of the time going to downsize all the way to my ultralight. Uh, I'm going to be down in the four-pound test fluorocarbon range. I'm not going to throw braid very much in the winter. If I do, it's going to have a long fluorocarbon leader on it. It's going to be like four pound, trying 100% fluorocarbon tied off to some very thin line and a tiny little jig on it. Uh, anything from a little Johnson jig, little tiny uh, crappie jig type jig, unscented tube jig, like an inch long. Uh, some of the unscented little minnows that they make. And then one that's even better than all that's a little a little marabou jig, a little tiny marabou jig. What I find is the most important thing, though, if you're going to jig in the tailwaters in the wintertime, is the bait needs to stay on the bottom. It needs to be literally all but drug on the bottom. And most of the tailwaters are relatively clean with stable current. Um, very, very important that that jig stays on the bottom, in my experience. As soon as I get it up off the bottom, uh, my bites go down a whole bunch. And so that's a, a big part of it. Also, everything's going to be working downstream. I'm not going to try to draw fish up. I'm not going to swing stuff nearly as much in the winter as I might some other time. I mean, you might run into a day where the fish are more aggressive and you can get away with swinging something. But most of the time, my jig or my nymph are going to be coming straight downstream uh, and, and right to my fish and set up in either feeding lanes or holes. I'll tell you a couple comments because I couldn't agree with them more with the things you've said. I love a little hair jig, a little marabou jig this time of the year uh, because it, it can be so lifelike with very little movement, just the feathers of the hair just pulsing a little bit. Uh, I wrote an article for Fishing Facts magazine probably 30 or more years ago on just that technique for trout. I love it. And when I do nymph this time of the year, I try not to put a split shot on. I try to use just tungsten-headed jig uh, flies and let the natural weight. It just seems to be a more stealth approach and doesn't tangle as easy. I agree. I don't like to point load anything on my fly system if I can avoid it. Uh, you put a hinge in your cast as well. You have more chance of splopping it down and, and spooking fish. I'd rather have a string of weighted flies on a fluorocarbon leader. The fluorocarbon will help pull it down, and the string of weighted flies will even it out, and that's for sure how I would prefer to do it. Uh, and, and, you know, little. I mean, I'm sure you're going to agree with me, Terry. Little is, is, is the deal most of the time, even if whatever – you know, the fish are feeding on is a little bit bigger. It seems like a little tiny fly or a little tiny jig by jig standards is what's going to get you the most bites. I, I couldn't agree more. And I'll tell you what, folks, just don't put, you know, if you're not an ice angler, don't put your long rods away, whether conventional or fly. Colorado offers nice days, lots of opportunities. And even below the tailwaters, you get a couple nice days and those fish are downstream. And sometimes they'll be bunched up. 
and you can have some of the best fishing of the year. You just have to approach it properly. Chad, while we've got time left, I want to change things up on you. Now, you and I don't keep a lot of fish to freeze. If we keep fish, we typically keep it for a, a very a meal we're going to have very soon because we love the freshness. But some people love to, when they're out, take some fish, throw them in the freezer. The freshness and the ability to make that taste good, even on frozen fish, can go away very quickly. You've got some tips for us, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, the only time I'm going to freeze fish is if we're in like a bulk situation. Maybe we went somewhere and caught a whole bunch of crappies and it's just such a rare opportunity or, or perch or something like that. Uh, and then I'll put them in the freezer. Otherwise, I agree with you. They got to be fresh. But if I do have fish in the freezer, typically I'm going to avoid the very classic things we talk about, like a fish fry or, you know, just a basic, you know, broiled fish or something like that. I'm going to go to do something that's going to involve a little more, more process to it with frozen fish and typically uh or the first thing that's going to come to mind for me is going to be either a stew or a chowder some sort of a i do an african fish stew that's got a tomato base with coconut milk in it very very delicious uh excellent to use with fish that's been in your freezer for a little bit any, any kind of fish chunk it up put it in the stew or in the yeah the stew when it's almost done all the rest of the ingredients are together add it in at the end cook it just barely through and it'll be delicious same thing with a chowder, a fish chowder, a really good use for fish that's been in your freezer is a fish chowder because fish freezer burn really quick and freezer burn really is just an absence of moisture in the flesh. And by putting it in liquid and cooking it, that could be a really good way to kind of rehydrate the fish and make it uh, very flavorful again. And it's not quite so highlighting the fish itself. Another really good one is to brine it, take it out of the freezer and brine it. And you could put it right in the brine frozen. Uh, put it in a like a 5% salt solution brine and then smoke it and then turn it into fish dip of some sort. So they could blend it with some cream cheese or, or whatever. There's a bajillion different ways to make, uh, to make fish dip, but a smoked fish dip is a really good use for uh, some leftover fish that you might have in your freezer because, again, it's not just about the flavor of the fish. It's more about the protein and the texture. And then one that a lot of people don't think about, but is, is one that also works really well if you just have fish that isn't great. Maybe you got some fish that's kind of mushy. Maybe you got some crappies out of really warm water and it's not the best, you know, best eating fish in the world. Really good thing to do with it is to mince it up and then mix it with some cooked potatoes and make fish cakes out of it, um, or fish sticks out of it. And again, there's a lot of different ways to do fish sticks or fish cakes. I like to do them with a potato base and then roll them, you know, with some green onions, a few other things. Um, egg in it for a binder and then roll it panko and fry them off. Make little fish balls or fish patties or what, how, whatever shape is more appropriate for you. But that can be a really good use of fish that's been in your freezer as well. Is what you know, it's just not something a lot of people think about. Now, one of the things I've always had a rule of thumb is that if I do freeze fish, which is seldom, uh, about three months is about the maximum I want to keep it. Then I want to cook it or get rid of it. How do you feel about that? Yeah, for sure. And if at all possible, I'm either going to vacuum bag it or freeze it in water. Um, it's I, I I I agree with you, Terry. I just really don't like to freeze fish, but all possible, it's so much different. But uh, three months, I think, is a good rule, which is why this is a timely thing. If you caught any fish in fall, and you know you got them in your freezer, you probably ought to start thinking about about eating them at this point. So. Um, you know, and the, the, the couple of the different things that I talked about right there, one of the keys to it is you, you've got enough other flavor. So the worst my fish is, 
the more robust of an ingredient uh, or, you know, of, of a stew or uh, something that I'm going to put it in. So if I've got fish that's only been in there maybe a month, okay, no problem. I'll just go ahead and cook it, you know, without worrying so much. But if it, I put that in there in August or September last year, I'm probably headed for a very strong uh, stew or a, a really a dense, rich chowder base. And I might even add some other fresh seafood with it. Uh, in the case of, say, a chalpino or something like that, where I would add some other fresh seafood with it. So my fish is becoming, I don't want to say a filler per se, but definitely not the star ingredient of the dish. And that can be good, uh, you know, overall for, for flavoring it as well. Another thing is you can add copious amounts of wine by putting it in a glass and drinking it with the fish. <laughs> I knew that was coming at some point in this yeah. conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, you know people will tend- fish makes a really... It, it pairs really well with wine. So uh, any sort of a white wine with fish is, uh, is a delicious thing. And some of my stew bases that I make have a, tr- a fair bit of wine in them for the acidity in the dish. And uh, makes, again, an excellent way to, to mask less than perfect fish. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And the fish that you keep the sauces light or you keep the fish are white, stay with the white wines, a uh, Sauvignon Blanc, a Pinot Grigio, something like that. Even a bubbly can be really good because it'll cut through some of the flavors and keep your palate fresh. But another thing, if, like your stew, is something that has a little more substance. Don't be afraid of a Pinot Noir or even uh, some Italian food wines like a Sangiovese has enough acid and they don't have the tannins to get that metallic taste, yet they'll they'll help enhance those stronger dishes like your stew. So there are some really good opportunities. Chad, minute or two left. What's going on with your TV show? Man, we're uh, we're full speed ahead on both networks, Terry. I think uh, episode six just aired. Unbelievable. We just did some uh, Alaskan trips uh, last few in a row. And uh, coming up here, we've got some fly fishing for carp. Uh, we've got a really, really good in-depth show on uh, on trout fishing, on jigging for trout, which I'm excited about. Tons of information in that show. But, yeah, we're doing a bunch of that. We're also booking guide trips. Uh, I've got a couple of key dates in June on my personal boat that are that are still available in early June. We'd love to get those booked out. People can check into that at fishfulthinker.com as well. And, uh, and last tidbit, since you always ask me, where am I going, where I'm going fishing today? Well, Carter and Horseshoot, the main lakes are open on both of those. And trout were stocked in fall on both of those, and they're definitely willing. So you can get out and walk the banks and do some open water casting. What would you cast for them? Well, I'm I'm going with the jig, Terry. Uh, I've been doing it for a while. Um, It's and I've been you know consistently doing it up here at Horsetooth, and the jig is just really hard to beat. A a variety of different jigs, but a little two and a half inch uh, power tube on an eight ounce jig head is really hard to beat. A marabou jig would also be hard to beat. Biggest key has been the fish have been tight to the bottom. We're working tight to the bottom. They're either going to get it on the drop or you're going to get it right on the bottom. Once it once it makes it to the bottom, drag it in from there. Don't uh, don't get crazy hopping it and most of them that we're catching are hanging around gravel. So, uh, to be honest with you, a really good place to start is the boat ramp. All right, my friend. Talk to you in a couple of weeks, and enjoy your frozen fish. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. You guys have a good day. <laughs> All right, Chad Lachance, always a great resource. We'll take a time out. We come back, we'll close out this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. <laughs> Got you down and the world's crashing all around. You can always count on me. Count on me to put my arm. 
comes around. All right, you're listening to Terry Woodstrom Outdoors, the 1043 The Fan. That song, Count On Me, by the way, is off the EP that Mark Dobreth and I released at the beginning of the year. We'd really appreciate it if you would go and just search Wickstrom and Dobreth, either on your favorite streaming service or any of your social media, almost Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Listen to the songs and give us some feedback, and we'd appreciate it if you just take a listen and see if you like them. So that's Wickstrom and Dobreth for those songs. Now, getting back to what we're covering here on the outdoors, got the weather. It's going to be warm today and tomorrow. I wouldn't be too afraid that it's going to put a damper on the ice fishing on the front range. We've had some really cold nights. We've got some solid ice. But as always, be extremely careful. Check the ice as you go. It's also going to get cold again in a couple of days and extremely cold again. So I think we're going to have good ice fishing opportunities up and down the front range from the small lakes to even Boyd and Cherry Creek and Chatfield and some of those. But a lot of the smaller bodies of water, the Lawn Haglers, the, the, the Douglas Lakes, a lot of those and the mountain lakes are all doing really well. So you've really got probably, I would think you're going to have two, three weeks or maybe more, maybe a month or more on the front range here, but certainly a couple months up in the mountains with what's going on. So if you're new to ice fishing, get out and give it a try. You're really going to like it. If you're an avid ice angler and you got a little frustrated by the weather, the fishing is pretty good right now. It isn't normal midwinter fishing. So get out and give it a try. Follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Um, if you liked a lot of the things we talked about today, we had the director on talking about the lion bill and how detrimental that could be to the hunting community. We've talked about all the ice fishing opportunities. We talked about open water fishing. We even talked about um, cooking some fish that you might have had frozen. So a lot of those uh, podcasts we post on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We also give you a heads up. You would have known the director of Parks and Wildlife was going to be on today if you followed Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Our YouTube channel, we take legacy programming from our television shows that aired for 22 seasons, and we throw some up there. There's probably 150 episodes up there now. Still a lot of great information, and it's stuff that so much of it, I mean, we go to Alaska, we go to Central America, but a lot of it was filmed right here in Colorado at Bodies of Water You Film with techniques you can still use to this day. So check out our, that's the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube. So we have a lot going on in our social media. Uh, next week, the uh, two weeks, the fly fishing show is going to be coming to, uh, to Denver and it's going to be at a new place out at the Gaylord. I'm going to get somebody on from the show next week to talk to us about the logistics of getting out there, what it's going to be like, and what you'll see out there. So we'll tune in that. We'll have that on next week's show. Uh, but the important thing is get out in the outdoors. And the last thing is I do want to make a comment again on this bill for lion hunting. You know, there's a bill in the Colorado legislature to outlaw big cat hunting, lions, bobcats, and lynx. We already can't hunt lynx. They're federally protected. We have a very robust lion population. And my personal feeling is if we were to take away the ability to control that with hunting, it would be very detrimental to our other big game and to livestock. I want to do more research, but I think this bill, you need to get a hold of your representative and tell them we need to kill this bill until the proper research can be done and we don't make this decision on a motion. It could affect our hunting and fishing, and they start chipping away at it. It could affect it for the rest of our lives. All right, we're going to sign off. 
We're going to be here every morning from 9 to 11. Follow us on social media, both Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and Wickstrom and Dobreth. We'll let, and thanks to Ty and thanks to Karen for getting me through this show. We're going to let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on ESPN.